This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, this is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Everything Tom, Richard and myself have been up to 23rd of February. It's a Thursday. It's also been Fed Minutes Day. We've been having a look at what the commentary around the latest Fed decision might tell us about what's coming up with interest rates. I've also been getting a little bit of therapy, speaking to Marissa Peer. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a well-known therapist, and she is charging individuals in Dubai $5,000 a session for everything on her one-month speaking tour of Dubai. We've also been saying happy birthday to the Museum of the Future. One year for that beautiful building, Leith Carlson is its executive director, and he's been talking to us about the number of people it's had through its doors. Finally, looking at real estate, a report this week suggesting that the majority of homeowners could have their heads turned when it comes to selling if higher prices hold. John Lyons is Managing Director of Espace Real Estate. Brandy Scott last night. We didn't have a Federal Reserve decision, but we did have the minutes from the last meeting. This was very, very closely watched. What was your reading of what we heard last night when it comes to the prospects for interest rates? They're going to keep going up. Um, At the very least, they're not going to come down. There's a suggestion that the rises will be slower, a little bit more moderate. Uh, But I think the hope that people had about a month ago, um, that we could see them just stay steady um, for the next few months... I think that's kind of getting dashed a little bit. Markets bearing that out, oil bearing that out this morning. There was a lot of talk of tight labour markets. There was a lot of talk about upward pressure on wages, upward pressure on prices um, and uh, basically the need for more Fed action. Yeah, this is what they had to say. Inflation remained well above the Fed's 2% target, according to the minutes. They noted that labour markets remained very tight, contributing to continuing upward pressures on wages and prices. They say ongoing rate hikes will be necessary. One of the hawks of the 18 or 19 members of the committee is a guy called James Bullard. Now, he's with the Fed in St. Louis. And he was one of a handful of people who were pushing for an even bigger rate hike last time. We got 25 basis points. James Bullard and one or two others wanted 50 basis points. And this is him explaining why. He was doing the rounds of the TV networks yesterday. And he says it's because the economy is very, very strong. You've got China coming on board. You've got a stronger Europe than we thought. Uh, It kind of seems like the U.S. economy might be more resilient than markets thought, let's say, six or eight weeks ago. That's James Bullard of the St. Louis Fed. So what does it mean for us here in the UAE? Katija Hack, chief economist of Emirates MBD, was following it closely. The minutes of the last meeting show that ongoing hikes in the Fed funds rate are probably going to be needed to bring inflation back down to 2%. Um, A few of the FOMC members did call for 50 basis point hikes at the last meeting, but overall it was agreed that they should reduce the uh, step in rates to 25 basis points so that they can better judge the impact that, that they're having on the economy. Over the last couple of weeks, two FOMC members have said they still favour 50 basis point increments given the strength in economic data that we've seen, Um, but neither of those uh, two are voting members this year. Um, So we still think the Fed will stick to the 25 basis point increments. We expect them to hike in March and in May before pausing. Um, But the recent run of strong economic data and also the upward revisions to the CPI that we've seen uh, over the last couple of weeks um, does uh, suggest that there is upside risk to that view. 
Um, the FOMC will publish updated economic and interest rate projections at their March meeting. Right, that's America. Fine. Good for them. World's biggest economy. Selfishly, what does it mean for us here in the UAE? What does it mean for interest rates? Higher interest rates are designed to slow economic growth and activity. um, And that is seemingly uh, what the Federal Reserve wants to achieve in order to bring inflation down. However, given that our rates are linked to those in the United States, it does mean that interest rates and borrowing costs in the UAE will also continue to rise. And that is going to have an uh, an impact on uh, consumption, certainly, and probably investment to some extent as well. So we do think that growth this year in the non-oil sectors will be slower than we uh, we saw in 2022. We're expecting around 3.5% growth in non-oil GDP in the UAE this year, down from an estimated 5.6% last year. Katija Hack of Emirates MBD. Now, Serena Kelly's with us in the studio with a bit more detail on the big news stories. Morning, SK. Morning, guys. Can we start, actually, can we stay with the economy here in Dubai? Because we just heard from Katija on that. You and the ARN News team have been looking at the Dubai economic agenda, known as D33. What have we learned on that? So the latest is His Highness Sheikh Hamdan bin Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, Crown Prince of Dubai and Chairman of the Dubai Executive Council. He's met with over 150 prominent leaders from Dubai's public and private sectors sectors yesterday. Uh, the meeting was held at the Dubai Majlis and basically they've been exploring ways of achieving the goals of the city's strategic vision for sustainable growth within that framework of the Dubai Economic Agenda D33. So of course we know the aim is to double the size of Dubai's economy over the next decade, consolidating its status as one of the top three global cities. So at the meeting, His Highness said new creative initiatives and solutions are vital to achieving the objectives set by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed in the D33 agenda for the next 10 years. So Sheikh Hamdan added that he was confident in the ability of both the public and private sectors to achieve those objectives of the D33 agenda. But yep, just just showing how they're moving forward. And uh, let's see what comes out of those talks that happened yesterday. Serena, thanks very much indeed. Of course, real estate is a big part of that. And just to remind you that at 8.30 today, we're going to be talking real estate, property pulse with our friends at SP. Real Estate. It's our bi-weekly roundup of all the big property news stories and we'll be putting it in the context of that D33 economic agenda as well. Now, the tour, cycling, happening today in Dubai. What's the deal? I've been going through it with a fine-tooth comb. So rolling road closures in Dubai, part of that fourth stage of the UA Tour cycling event. So traffic's going to be halted in phases from 12 midday. So it's a 174-kilometre race today, starts in Al-Shindaga and ends at Dubai Harbour. So the riders going to be weaving through the city before entering the desert and passing through Al-Qudra, Expo City Dubai and the Palm Jumeirah. So one, once the cyclists have passed an area the roads will be reopened. So affected roads include Sheikh Rashid Road, Al-Asail, um, among others. But I have taken a look, as I said. Um, we do have the map up on the Air and News Centre app and website. So some areas to take note of. So kicking off starting 11.50, those closures are going to start at Al-Shandaga. Then Al-Qoz, E44 and Dubai Hills, that's from about 12.30. 
Then the E311 from 12.45, Alcudra Cycle Track from 1.25, exit to Expo from 2.10. And this is where it could get tricky because you've got school pickup timings around the afternoon. Al Asail is from 2.40, Emirates Hills and Al Camilla Street from about 2.50, Palm Jumeirah Tunnel and Atlantis from 10 past 3, and Um Sakim. Uh, about 3.40. So that's just some of those main timings and roads that I think obviously people need to be aware of. Uh, just again, with um, if you're out and about, especially during school pickups. So I think, Tom, the, the, the plan is get a very early table for lunch <laughs> and just stay there until about until it goes dark. Easy for you to say. What if you're on the radio till two o'clock this afternoon here in Media City? Oh, oh no. Because you've got starting up with Virtue Zone between one and mm. two, haven't you? I might have to get a late lunch table a little bit closer than I expected. <laughs> Serena Caddy, thank you very much indeed. More details on the Erin News Centre app. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. We're getting a bit of therapy here on the Business Breakfast, a bit of free therapy. And yeah, it is absolutely the $5,000 ticket price that has made this a business story. Uh, She's the world-renowned therapist Marissa Peer. She's had a bit of a television career in the UK. She's got five books out and she's currently on a month-long speaking tour of Dubai. Uh, She's well known for sort of working with celebrities, big CEOs, etc. And that's who she was speaking to when she kicked off her tour here, which was at the World Government Summit. She was holding a guided meditation for politicians and business leaders. But what I wanted to know before we got to that $5,000 price tag was why some of the world's most successful people needed a therapy session. Many of them just don't understand how to dialogue with their mind. You know, we're all taught, hey, in business, if you can learn how to communicate with your customers, you'll have an amazing business. But we've sort of forgotten that the most important communication skills you will ever have are how to communicate with yourself, how to dialogue with yourself. And we know that many business leaders, many A-types get burnout because they're they're always on the go. They're pursuing something. They're trying to be perfect. And I know from being a therapist my entire adult life that people who try to be perfect are the unhappiest and the loneliest. I've worked with many, many successful people who've got everything except inner peace or they don't have a happy relationship or they're very stressed because they're trying to pursue a goal and they've forgotten that things do not make you happy. Your relationship with people is what makes you happy and if you're the head of a company it can be very hard sometimes to have that connection because you're the person that has to fire people or be sort of above them and so although we think that these leaders these world leaders and government leaders have everything you know we saw that the prime minister of new zealand just resigned because it was overwhelming and it's the overwhelm and the inability to know how to deal with overwhelm All right, so what did the world leaders and the uh, titans of industry get at the World Government Summit from their Marissa Peer session? Uh, She says that she took them through her own specific style of meditation. It's all about impressing upon your mind the things that matter to you and then coding in what you really, really require, but also erasing all that doubt. That will go wrong, that might not work, and then repeating and rewiring. So I was showing them how to 
meditate for manifestation, how to create the things that you want, the things that are really important. And also I was taken through this three-step process that most people don't understand. To have what you want requires three things. You have to be able to really look at it and go, yeah, yeah, I want that. But you also have to look at it almost with x-ray vision so you understand what that requires. And then you have to believe that you're worth it by doing the third bit, really saying, I deserve this, I'm worthy, I can have it. So I was teaching this meditation and I was a little interested in, will they really go for this? But they absolutely loved it. So I wanted to know, who are Marissa's clients at the moment? I had heard of her before, um, about a decade and a half ago. I bought one of her books with a CD in the back. That's how long ago it was. Um, I had something to play the CD in. That's how long ago it was. My laptop wouldn't take it today. Um, And lost a a bunch of weight, actually, listening to to one of her CDs. And that's why I sort of put my hand up. I wanted to meet her in person. And I was also just interested in this kind of high-level therapy business. And I wanted to know from her, outside of the books, the people that she sees individually, how many of her clients are the CEOs, the high flyers? Um, probably about 65%. I work with heads of companies, heads of industry, um, people at the very, very top level. And I often go to their homes and think, wow, these people have got everything except the one thing that matters. They don't have inner peace and they don't have that belief that I'm enough and I'm good enough. And so they, they're kind of on that hamster wheel, tons of staff. I was working with somebody recently who's got 40 staff in his house. And I'm like, you don't need 40 staff. This is, this, this is the pressure you have just to keep this up. You see, everything that these people have, they're getting another plane, another yacht, another home, because they think it, that's how it will make them feel good. And everything we want is because of how it will make us feel. But when you can get the feeling without the stuff... Now you are absolutely winning. So what kind of of problems do these high-level clients, these CEOs and celebrities have? Stress, burnout, anxiety, depression, this belief that I'm going to be this major head of the company, have all this money, a great home. And they got it when they go, now I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? But, you know, 70% of lottery winners also say they're depressed. In fact, 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt in three years because the belief that money will solve our problems isn't true. When we come onto the planet, we're wired for two things. Find connection, avoid rejection. When you're the boss, you find disconnection and rejection a lot. And it, it's very, very difficult. I remember years ago, I met Elizabeth Taylor. And probably one of the loneliest people I'd ever met lived in this massive mansion. It, she was so disconnected that that's not the way to live a life. Ironically, uh, Marissa says that COVID actually helped some of her clients. Some of my clients actually liked COVID. They thought, well, this is good. I'm at home. I'm, I'm chilling out. I'm, I'm understanding what really makes me tick. And others said, you know, I've really realized that getting on a plane and flying around the world having meetings is not what makes me happy. So it actually had a, a good side effect too. I had to be very careful not to look into her eyes when I was speaking to her. It's exactly the same voice in her hypnotism CDs. Um, very soporific. Uh, so um, I, was, I was sitting there just thinking this is very, very eerie. Now, she's holding workshops and giving talks in Dubai. But as Rich mentioned there, for one-on-one sessions, it's 5000 US dollars. I asked Marissa, who's paying that? 
I mean, I don't really see many, many clients at all because I've trained 5,000 therapists. I have 100 of them here in Dubai, and, and they can see that every bit as good as me, and they can see my clients. So I tend to see heads of industry, leaders in their field, people who can pay that amount and, and realize that their time is money and are, are willing to invest in something that can be, in many ways, absolutely life-changing. So there's a lot of royalty. A lot of people are ahead of their industry, but I also do see people who can't pay that. That is my fee, but like everyone, I do adjust that for people that really need it. And Marissa actually went on to say to me that she initially put the $5,000 price cap in place as almost a weeding device, that she was so busy that she thought, right, if I just stick a ridiculous amount almost on it, my words, not her words, um, then that will uh, act as sort of a, a natural filter and draw people, as she says, to some of her other therapists that she's been training. Anyway, I asked for a bit of free advice not having the $5,000 for this myself. I said, right, what could anyone listening to you this morning do um, to try and start to improve their lives? First of all, start to say you're enough. It sounds so simple, but the common denominator of most of our issues is, well, if we're not enough, I'm not smart enough. I don't know how I got this job. I must have faked it. I've worked with many, many people who say, I'm waiting to be found out. I'm waiting for to see I'm a fraud. I, I can't deal with this pressure. So tell yourself you're enough over and over again. You don't have to believe it. The mind doesn't know. And it certainly doesn't care if what you tell it is true or false. It's rather like putting lotion on your skin. Your mind just goes out from Prada or Primark. It lets it in. And words are the same. Your mind will let them in. So think of some good words. I'm enough. I'm great at my job, I have a gift, I have a talent, and I'm here to monetize that. And also praise yourself a lot. Do not wait for your boss or someone else to tell you that you're good. Say it yourself, I'm good, I've got a skill, I'm good at my job. Up praise and minimize criticism and tell yourself that you're enough. Those three things on their own can be such a game changer. That is the therapist, Marissa Peer. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. A year and a day ago, February the 22nd, 2022, uh, Dubai, the UAE as a whole, welcomed its latest landmark attraction. The Museum of the Future threw open its futuristic doors. And since then... A stunning one million visitors from 163 countries have walked through those doors and marvelled at the at what is on offer inside. Uh, one man uh, who is responsible for that, along with his extensive team, is the executive director of the Museum of the Future. He's been kind enough to join us live here in studio this morning. Good morning to Laith Carson. Laith, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Uh, happy birthday, I suppose, is the first yes. and foremost. Yeah, Happy anniversary, as it were. I mean... Uh, 1,163 countries within 365 days, first year of functioning, exceeding expectations? Depends on whose expectations, I think. Um, obviously, in Dubai, the expectations are always quite high. So I'd like to say we, we met them, and now we can only go forward from there. But a significant milestone, nonetheless. Absolutely, yeah. And um, we've been sold out every day since we opened, and I've heard of no other museum in the world accomplishing that. Yeah, and I, we were talking about this yesterday, you know, this this idea of being sold out, you know, we've seen the sort of fluctuation of how far in advance you need to book to be order, in order to be in that queue to get onto the tours as well. You're no stranger to innovative museums and innovative places of education. Um, is that unique to what you found in your career? 
100%. Um, and I anticipated maybe a few months that would go on, and it's gone on now for over a year. Um, I just checked, and I think March 14th is maybe the first available ticket now. Um, and it's really quite unique in our world. I've heard the Vatican Museum is the only other institution that has this issue. So what... What what is it? What's the the secret ingredient that is creating that? Well, I will say, I mean, Dubai has rebounded so well, and our timing coming on the tail end of Expo really, I think, helped. The momentum from Expo was tremendous, and we carried that over into the museum. Uh, but also, I think the offer is something that people really respond to. The idea that we're presenting a hopeful vision of the future and a future that people really want to live in and they want to experience, as opposed to what they often see, you know, on videos and movies and things, where it's quite a you know dark vision of the future. And we intentionally do the opposite. Of that. And that comes from a lot of what you and your team have put together within the, uh, the structure itself, inside the, the innovation, the learning experience, the opening of eyes, etc., uh, from, from, from what you show. But equally, I suppose, as well, from the architectural structure of the building as well. There isn't a day that I don't <laughs> drive past that building when there isn't a crowd outside. Come rain or shine, come l- day or night, there's always someone having a photograph taken outside Absolutely. of it. Is that, is, that, is that part of the allure, do you think? I think it is. I mean, we couldn't ask for any better advertisement, right, than the building itself and the location of it is so phenomenal. And now we've seen, as you mentioned, this kind of uh, phenomena that happens particularly in the evenings where people gather all around the museum and there's just a constant crowd there and just fantastic energy there. Uh, when we were under construction, the Emirates Towers district may be, you know, not as popular. Now it's really resurged and come back. And so that's also been a great benefit from the museum. We often talk about um, events bringing eyeballs and footfall to the UAE uh, Expo recently, the World Cup more recently as well. Obviously, COP28 a little later on this year. Could we also make an argument for Museum of the Future? Are you seeing people flying in to see Museum of the Future? We are. We actually just did a study and it looks like about 10% of our guests come specifically to see the museum, uh, which is more than we anticipated. In the first year, that's quite unusual. Um, let's go to the traditional idea of the museum. I always remember going to the Natural History Museum to see the Diplodocus, to do the rounds, etc. Um, it was a little bit dusty. It was a museum. That's what it was. Uh, that, that, that was the idea of it. How do you redefine and recurate our understanding of museums? So one thing that we've done intentionally is take a lot of the tools of traditional museums, but just apply them to a completely new topic. Um, so we are the first museum of the future in the world. So this is a new thing. Um, and the idea, though, is that you still come into these environments, you interact with objects, with stories um, about what might be, as opposed to what might have been in the past. So all it is is changing the lens from looking backward to looking forward. But every other aspect of it is just like um, more traditional museums. But we do use, I think, a little better technology. And from that curation process, as well. Is that an evolving process? Because obviously what you're learning on the tour this year, is that going to be different from what you learn next year? Absolutely. So we have two sections of the museum. One looks 50 years in the future. The other looks more like one to five years in the future. And that area we're constantly updating. We've been updating it since the day we opened. It'll always evolve. And now we're starting the process of actually looking at those longer term exhibitions and refreshing them as well. Another element that we've seen and has sort of taken me by surprise, the number of events that are hosted down at the museum, be they large award ceremonies, be they large conferences or more intimate gatherings as well. Was that always part of the planning? It was part of the planning. Um, Once again, I think we've exceeded the expectations there. Uh, Hosting things like the Time 100 and Impact Awards, which we've done twice now already, even though we've only been open for a year, the Dubai Future Forum, which was an incredible event, um, and all the other things that we've done, Metaverse Assembly, 
so many different events, so many different speakers. Uh, it's just been incredible. I mean, now it's almost every day. Actually, I looked at our schedule. We have two a day for the next week. So just phenomenal. <laughs> Talk to me about the future. Obviously, 2022, a very successful one, opening, uh, uh, success, etc. Uh, what, what does 23 look like and what, what's in the pipeline for this year? One thing we've really focused on is the public programming, particularly for residents and locals here in Dubai. It's something because we've been sold out, it's been hard to access the museum for people that live here. And that's not what we had intended. Mm. So we've added in a lot of public programs on the weekends and the evenings and things that are very accessible to uh, people that live here. And that's something we're really pushing forward for this next year. As I mentioned, you are well-traveled and well-versed in putting together curating a university, um, sorry, university and museum experiences for the arts and innovation around the world. Um, is this a project that still sort of excites you day to day at the moment? And is, are we just at the beginning of what we could expect from Museum of the Future? I think so. I mean, I came here, obviously, to start the museum and get it going, not really expecting to want to stay maybe long term. Now I'm stuck in Dubai. I mean, this is my home now. My family's here. We love it here. And I think, you know, the commitment is very real to for the whole team to kind of continue to evolve this. It is something quite new. And now we have an opportunity to actually evolve it here, but also take it to the rest of the world, which is very exciting. Last little piece of advice. Got 30 seconds with your life for all those out there at the moment going, Oh, I just can't wait the five weeks, the six weeks to get into the Museum of the Future. Is there a, a special hack to beat the system? Well, I'm going to let you into a little secret. So we do have a Parker's restaurant pop up for the winter at the museum. If you go there, you can access some day of tickets. Um, so locals have caught on to this. Um, limited numbers. Um, but we are also looking at a new way that we can have people do some day of tickets on a limited basis, just so people can you know, not wait that long. Extraordinary. Love a hack. Thank you very much indeed. Laith, bless you. All the best. Congratulations to you and all the team for what has been an extraordinary, successful opening year. Laith Carlson is the Executive Director of Museum of the Future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Ah, John Lyons joins us in the studio, Managing Director of SPAS Real Estate. Morning, John. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thanks very much indeed. I'm looking forward to our discussion because... Um, Let's have a heated debate, as Mrs. Merton would say. <laughs> a report came out this week that said the following. Nearly two-thirds of Dubai property owners, 64%, plan to sell their units to take advantage of higher prices, market conditions. More than half saying they will do so in the next 12 months. That was a piece of research from one real estate company. You read this and saw this and heard this, and you think no. Yes, it, it's very surprising, and it was an eye-catching headline and then when I read the article, I, I couldn't see how that could be the case, how 64% of people are planning to sell their property this year, people that live in their properties, and 52% of which are going to do it over the next 12 months. I think while the pollsters um, will be asking lots of questions, I would be interested to know exactly what the question was and who were they asking, because I can't see that happening in the market from what we're looking at. Because you say, looking at your data, and you're one of the, the bigger, one of the larger real estate brokerages, there are fewer people selling their houses this year, not more. Yes, if we look at the first seven weeks of this year and compare it to the same period last year, we are 10% down on our number of new listings coming to the market. And that's in an environment where we're actually up in terms of buyer registrations by 17%. We've done 4% more viewings and we've sold 36% more properties. But the interesting thing is that we're struggling to get as many listings on the market this year compared to the same period last year. Why do you think that is? Why are people who own the properties not looking at these higher prices and thinking, you know what, why not I just cash in? 
80% of the people that we sold to last year are residents of Dubai. So we're working in many of the most well-known communities in Dubai. And most of the people who we deal with, they're already resident here. They're buying these properties to live in and they have a long-term outlook. So if they're going to sell their property, it would then beg the question, where are they going to live? And of course, I think the, the poll does suggest that maybe the plan is to sell the property this year and to upsize. But if that is the plan for a lot of families, it doesn't make so much sense to delay that decision in a rising cycle. Because if your plan is to upsize, you're better to make that move earlier in the cycle, not later in the cycle, because the delta between the property values is going to increase. It's not going to narrow. Right. Okay. Is that happening? Are people on their now their, their second home in Dubai, they bought one and now they want something a little bit bigger or posher? Yeah, people obviously, there's always people moving up and down. There's always people that need to upsize and there's people that need to downsize and there's first time buyers. We see lots of that in the market and that's a healthy sign for the market. But the point I'm trying to make is that if someone does plan to upsize, it becomes more difficult the later on into a rising cycle that you go because obviously a 3 million dirham property that appreciates in value by 10%, if the market does appreciate by 10%, is um, also got to match up with the larger property that might be 6 million dirhams today and it's going to appreciate also by 10%. So the gap between the two actually grows over time. And you've also got the issue, haven't you, in terms of if you want to finance your property with a mortgage, which a lot of Dubai residents uh, certainly do at the moment. If you cross, I think, is it 5 million dirham threshold, then the, the terms and conditions change according to the central bank. Just remind me how that works. Yes, I, there's obviously the mortgage cap in place. So you need to put down more deposit if you go above 5 million dirhams. But I think the most relevant part of um, the interest rate story to bear in mind when it comes to people making the decision to sell and upsize is not only over time is the property market becoming more valuable and therefore the delta between the two properties is going to increase, but also it's the chances are that people living in their properties today are on fixed rate mortgage products that are at a lower rate than the rate that they would get if they were to take a new mortgage today on a larger property. So it does become more expensive to make the decision to upsize the later in the cycle you go, particularly when you're in a rising interest rate environment that we are today. Now, you say one of the lessons from this is going back to that, that piece of research that we mentioned earlier, upholsters get it wrong and you've got a long list of upholsters getting it wrong in recent years. Well, yes, it was it was a poll, but I don't think we can take a poll at face value all the time. They got it wrong in the 2015 general election in the UK. They got it wrong with Brexit. They got it wrong with Donald Trump's presidential win. And maybe they've got it wrong with this. I, I doubt 64% of people are actually really genuinely planning to sell their property this, uh, and in this rising market. Let's pick up on the interest rate story that you touched on there overnight. One of our top stories today, we had minutes from the Federal Reserve. I'm sure you've heard from Katija Hack and other economists this morning. The, the key takeaway seems to be interest rate hikes will continue and they're going to stay higher for longer in the US and, and also here. Yes, I think the story has changed slightly. The sentiment's probably changed in the last four, five, six weeks. I was of the opinion that probably there would be one more hike and then there would be a pause. I think the economist from Emirates MBD thinks that probably two more hikes before there's a pause. But whether it's one or two or three, 
the mortgage products available in the market right now in Dubai are still very competitive. In fact, they're actually at lower rates today than they were many months ago. And that's because the banks are being very competitive to get money out of the door. So I think that we are being supported here in this market by a very competitive banking industry that wants to lend money and has a lot of liquidity and has a desire to do so. So what's the sweet spot at the moment? If you look at the, you say a 36% increase in the number of signed MOUs to buy properties so far this year, what would be the sweet spot in terms of the type of property and the price point? We're still very active in the luxury market. But we're, we're very active at all levels of the market, from apartments in Dubai Marina to the biggest, most interesting homes on Pam Jumeirah. And I think that's what gives us great confidence is that we deal with so many different parts of the market from different price points to different types of demographics and clientele, all sorts of different nationalities buying right now. And as I said, 80% of the people who we are selling to, they are already resident in Dubai. So they're buying with need in mind. They're not speculators. And what's the proportion of those that are financing their property? Last year, 62% of the buyers that we closed with were using a mortgage and 38% were not using a mortgage. They were cash buyers. And that's broadly similar so far this year? Yes. So the year before it was 61%. So it's broadly similar. And at the moment, we're still looking about the same. About 40% of our buyers don't use a mortgage. Uh, Finally, let's talk about the pipeline. If people aren't selling existing homes, 10% fewer properties sold. What about off-plan developments? Are we still seeing new launches? Yes, there are. There's a lot of new launches coming. And I think that's something to look at Probably two or three years out from here, I think that there will be a lot of properties actually getting handed over into the market. The launches obviously take time from when the developer launches the project to when they can actually finish the project and hand it over for use. And that's three or four years away until I think that we're going to see a lot more properties literally available for people to live in. And at that point, it will be interesting to see how the demand and uh, supply levels up with each other. Steffi's been in touch on Facebook saying, too many numbers, too much confusion. What should I do, John? Should I rent or buy in 2023? Okay, to bring the numbers, we don't predict the market, but just to make it simple for everybody, we have got less listings and we have got more buyer demand. 17% more buyers, 10% less listings. If you go out and try and buy a property right now, you will find that there's not so many options to look at. Rents are rising. There's no sign that they're slowing down from what I can see. So if you are here for a short period of time, I would say renting is a good option. But if you're planning to be here for an extended period of time, then I think personally that the financial benefit of owning a property in a market that yields about 6.5% gross is a tremendous financial benefit available. And then there's the emotional benefit as well for living in a property that you own and being able to make it your home. So my advice would be to buy, even though we're into the cycle, we're well into the cycle. Prices are obviously higher than where they were a couple of years ago. But still, I think there's quite a lot of affordable options out there, particularly when you consider it on a, in a global context. Steph, hope that one helps. That is the house view from Espas Real Estate and, of course, John Lyons. John, always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much indeed. That's John Lyons. He's the MD of Espas Real Estate. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.